Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of the Nothing But Locks podcast. I'm once again joined by my favorite coworker, Robert Kowalski. Robert, how are you doing today? I'm so happy to be here, Allie. It's draft week. It is, and I'm happy to be back in Los Angeles for the second straight week doing this podcast. Uh, so let's just let's just jump right into it. I want to start before we get into the NFL draft, which begins tomorrow, which I'm very excited for. There's just been so much going on with the NBA playoffs that I want to talk about right now. And let's get right to the Nets and the Celtics. What happened here, Robert? The Nets, I mean, you picked the Celtics. I picked the Nets. Midway through the series, once the Celtics went up 2-0, I kind of went toward the Celtics side. But I didn't see a sweep. What about you? I didn't see a sweep either, Allie. But I, I did obviously see Boston winning the series just off of their track record and, and what I knew of what their defense was capable of. So, I mean, it didn't really matter throughout the entire series, whether it was in Massachusetts or in Brooklyn, it, it didn't matter what the pace was, whether they went fast or whether they went slow, they were going to out rebound them, control the ball far, far better. Uh, and, uh, you know, just do really, really well inside the arc of the three-point land. I mean, basically, we, we already know that, you know, everyone's going to be bombing away, but they hit their free throws. They got to most of the rebounds. And even with Kyrie Irving doing pretty much anything he wanted, it, 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 just, it just didn't matter. And in the last game, the clincher in, in game number four, we saw the same exact thing. It just didn't matter whether they were in, in a position that looked like the game might get away, just the Celtics were just getting to the balls faster and ultimately out-rebounding them is what, to me, made the difference in the series. I mean, again, I didn't see a sweep either here, Ali. No, no. And to me, watching the games of the series, I said it on the podcast last week and the week before, this just didn't look like a Nets team that had any chemistry whatsoever. It was Kyrie dribbling around, taking a shot. If Durant got it, he took a shot. I just didn't see the cohesiveness that you saw with the Celtics and the Celtics played like a team. Jason Tatum is a bona fide top 10 player in this league. Marcus Smart's just solid on defense. You have Jalen Brown, who's just a huge contributor. This is just a well-suited button up Celtics team that just caught the Nets off guard. And I think the Nets really thought that they could just go into the playoffs despite having a subpar regular season and between the star power of Irving and Durant, just blow everyone out of the water. And they didn't. And I'm curious to see in the offseason what happens. I don't think you're going to separate the two stars. I think they're going to give it another go around. They're obviously going to cite Irving missing the majority of the year due to the COVID vaccine mandate as a reason they just didn't come together in time. But I don't know, Robert. I just, I don't, I've always said since Kyrie left LeBron, that I think he's not even a one, he's not a one B to a one A, he's a number two. And Kevin Durant, I mean, besides the Warriors, do you, is Kevin Durant capable of leading a team to the, the finals? What do you think? Uh, no, and, I, and more and more I'm looking at it, the whole, uh, you know, let's, let, let's put the whole team together and, and, you know, group up, you know, best friends, as we say, you know, whether we saw how Miami did it, well, how LeBron James did it, you know, in kind of putting uh, what looked like a, a live version of NBA Jam together 
in an effort to win a championship. And you know, in some cases it works, but in, in others, it just looks like it, it, it's not here at all. And I don't know if it just was, yeah, a, a lack of Irving. I mean, look, ultimately everyone's waiting for the playoffs to begin anyway. I just don't think that they were going to get caught in such a buzzsaw in the first round. Celtics came to play. I mean, they, they played hard all year long. I felt in the other way, Brooklyn kind of just went through the motions until they got to the playoffs. And then they realized, hey, wait a second. We're not as tuned up and ready for this as, as, as we thought we were. Uh, Ali, do you think this would have made a difference if, if Simmons even played one of the games? No, I don't think it would have. I'm glad you brought that up because that was my next point. No, I don't think it would have made any difference if Simmons would play. I never was a true Simmons supporter. Uh, I really didn't get to see him obviously play in college at all. He was always injured. And I'm just, I'm just skeptical of guys coming in the league with injuries like that. And he claims, you know, he has it's some mental issue going on. But at this point, I think Reggie Miller was right. This guy has to stop make ex- making excuses of, as to why he can't deliver in just any game whatsoever. So, no, I don't think Simmons would have made a difference. But is Simmons not the most disappointing player in recent history? Robert, what do you think? No, I, I, I can't think of another one off the top of my head that's just been really disappointing. And it's just, it's incredible. I mean, it, we, we could probably say we're disappointed somehow in, in Kevin Durant here. But, I mean, I pretty much this entire series we've we've seen him kind of get boxed in, in a way that we haven't really seen him get boxed ever uh just from a defensive standpoint he had really bad games almost the entire series so i don't know if if it would have made a difference look you, we we want to retool brooklyn i could understand that i honestly think that if they had one more small forward that can just park himself on the baseline and just bomb threes and do nothing but that, uh, you know, I, th- I think that would definitely help, but you got to get better on defense. That that's to me, what was the biggest difference because mm-hmm. it didn't look like they were interested in, in that kind of level of play that Boston did. No, not at all. And for me too, I watched, you know, the exciting Grizzlies T wolves game last night when John Morant just took over at the end of the fourth quarter and that's a team that's playing hungry. And that's a team that's playing with young guys who doesn't, who don't know what it's like to win yet, who really didn't get buoyed by, you know, you look at Kyrie got lucky when LeBron came to Cleveland. Kevin Durant got lucky when he went to the Warriors. But with the Grizzlies, you have a team that just came, that has come together with chemistry. They play defense, number one. And number two, they're hungry for this. And they don't have any ego. I think that's the biggest thing. And when you look at a team like the Nets with Durant and Irving, it's just about ego. I mean, these are two guys. And when you had Harden there, especially, it's all about ego. So I think the Celtics got their number, and the Celtics have no guys with ego whatsoever. Jason Tatum's a very good player that does not play selfish at all. So, you know, I wish I took your advice earlier. But I'm curious, before we move on to the next uh, matchup, what were the books like? They must have been celebrating with the Nets losing. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, there, there was a lot of future uh, wagers placed on uh, on the Nets to win the championship, to win the conference, uh, and obviously to win the series. Uh, and, and so this was definitely uh, a side in, in a pool that went uh, in, in most of the books favor, uh, at least here in Nevada. That's, that's as far as I know. Uh, some books had the, the biggest liability was on the Nets. 
and and obviously, so that's that's a big win. Some high fives in in the uh, uh, the offices of the sports books and various casinos here in Nevada. You know, as it was, uh, you know, going into the final game, uh, we were dealing anywhere from sixteen to even as high as twenty to one for the Nets to come back and win the series. But you know, uh, we we already saw what happened there. So, uh, nope, didn't do it that time. Yeah. And then let's move on because I don't want to spend too much time reflecting on the Nets, but we will bring in our CEO's favorite team, the Bucks, and they played their final. Well, I shouldn't say that yet. They haven't won yet, but they play presumably their final game tonight against the Bulls. I mean, this is a team we talked about last week. We didn't know what they would look like without Middleton. And in the two games since, they've just blown the Bulls out of the water. What are your takes on the Bucks right now? Oh boy, yeah. The Bucks are now up three-one after taking victories in Chicago of thirty points, twenty-four points. In those two games, they took seventy-four threes. Thirty-two of them hit the bottom of the net. They're just completely on fire, and they look like honestly to me like a different team without Chris Middleton. So with with the way that the game is playing out today, well, I mean, there's a lot that's actually being played into this. Um, no Alex Caruso now, no Zach Levine either. He's downgraded to out because uh, looks like he's in COVID protocol, which is what the latest news that came out this morning. So now uh, the Bucks, even without Middleton, they're almost a 13-point favorite at home to close out the series. And uh, you know, with the way that they've been playing uh, in Chicago, uh, I, I don't see uh, Milwaukee having much of a problem at home to advance into the next round. No, and this is, again, like you – well, besides Giannis coming out, Grayson Allen, what about him? <laughs> <laughs> how about that that's awesome think, yeah and you know i loved watching him at duke even though i'm not a duke fan but i do like watching duke and you know we know all know his historical controversy with kicking players and tripping players and all that but hey that was good to see him come out i know my dad's a big grayson allen fan so he's been happy to see his play the last two games but i think that speaks to milwaukee's depth and they're a team that's not going to go away silently so I think they're right up there to be favored to go back with the heat. And I'm really excited about watching the book. I know that our CEO is as well, but <laughs> yeah, they look good. I think they're going to, they're going to finally um, advance tonight that, you know, it's just going to be a quick, quick uh, doing of the bulls. But we saw two last night, Atlanta finally uh, lost to the heat and the heat are going to move on. So really quick, what's your take? What do you think about the Jimmy Butler scenario? Is he coming back soon or what? No, I, I, I don't think that he should really rush anything because you come back too soon and then you're, you're done for the series and, and possibly the, the entire playoffs. So I think he should definitely give it a break. And right now, uh, you know, obviously we don't have to be concerned about making any lines yet for the series or for, you know, game number one uh, from Miami. But ultimately, well, I mean, look, <laughs> I'm over here penciling in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, and, and that was another one that we not were not too soon yet, not too soon yet. Right. Exactly. So I don't know if I want to go ahead and even start to think about booking into a series price uh, on that. So we can go ahead and uh, just sit back and enjoy the rest of this show. Um, when we last talked, uh, we, we were thinking, ah, you know what, maybe Toronto's got a little shot here at winning the series. And then we're like, yeah, no, 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 they don't. But now they do. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's they're crazy. alive, they're dead, they're alive, they're dead. 
And I thought that would be a quick, like, gentleman sweep. You know, once Toronto did win game four, I'm like, all right, well, they're just preparing for the inevitable. But then they went and won in one game five in Philly. And now they have game six on their home turf. Robert, can we see the first 3 0 comeback in NBA history on this one? <laughs> As we said, don't. Don't book against Doc Rivers to do anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, no, that's exactly it. <laughs> now, I'm not going to go so far as to, as to predict Toronto is going to come back, but I can totally see them winning game six tomorrow. I think that's when they play. And, you know, 3-3, three, three, and it all comes down to game seven. That's, gosh, you got to think that's in the 76ers' heads, right? It has to be. And, you know, I, I think right now after seeing – well, almost a full round of games in, in the opening round of the playoffs. It seems that home court in, in, from a betting perspective, and again, it's still a very small sample size of postseason games. To me, I think it's only worth about one point in these playoffs. Interesting. Right? You know, yet the betting market seems to have it set at three. You know, so it adds up to a winning record for home teams straight up, but a losing record against the spread. So, hey, you know, this kind of falls right into – uh, you know, right into your wheelhouse, Allie, you know, betting those dogs. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of noticed that earlier on when I was just like looking, I'm not necessarily betting, but looking who I liked uh, at least in the games one or two and, you know, siding with the home team, even as favorites, because for me, I always think that home court plays a big deal, but you're right. I, you really haven't seen the home court advantage this entire NBA playoffs. And I don't know what that's from. Is it because maybe, you know, when they played, in the bubble in 2020 for the playoffs they just got used to playing on neutral turf uh, maybe the crowd really isn't as effective as it used to be but I don't know that's a good point to make it's really hard to factor in home court advantage at this point but before we do move on then to the western finals are you are you going to pick the the Raptors or are you still sticking with the Sixers you know what, the way they've been performing and, and Toronto's really focusing on, on getting inside the paint and, and, and driving to the basket as much as humanly possible, uh, they're, they're doing what they have to. They're hitting free throws. The pace is actually at Toronto's favor for the entire series so far. Uh, as long as they keep it up, they're, they're definitely going to be in every one of these games. I mean, heck, when, when they just won their last game, uh, game five, they shot 67% yeah. inside the arc. So if, if they continue to do what they've done all year, not only are they going to be in every game, I, I think they do have a shot at winning the series. So again, from a betting perspective, if you see a point spread, that's, you know, a little too wide, which right now uh, that's simply not happening. I mean, heck, uh, the 76ers on the road tomorrow are going to be a one and a half point favorite in Toronto. Uh, and, and that's just probably already a, a market indicator saying that Toronto's very live as an underdog here. Yeah, I'm all over Toronto for game six. Game seven, you know, that's, again, you got to factor in, you can factor in home court advantage with the Sixers, even though they did lost game five. But it, there has to be that mental block in their head. And it has to be with Doc Rivers too. I mean, we've seen Doc Rivers, like we've talked about, blow more games in the postseason or series in the postseason than any other coach I can think of. So I'm actually going to gonna call the Sixers to definitely win game six. I'm not ready to give them game seven yet, uh, even though I did pick them to win the series before all this began. But I'm rooting for the Raptors. I, I really I really am. So we'll, we will move on to the Western Conference Finals now because I feel like every time we do these, we just keep running out of time. 
but uh, Luca's back. That I think that's the biggest news of the Western Conference Finals. And are we going to see the end of the Jazz coming up? I say yes. Uh, yep. The way the way they played in Game Five was simply just magical. I mean, look. First off, Utah took thirty-three pointers and hit three of them. Three out of thirty, which is absolute madness. So that happens. Of course, you're going to get longer rebounds. Transition game is going to be way, way in Utah's favor, and you could see what happens. They end up blowing them out. The two-point shooting inside the arc, 60%, which again is relevant because of all of those rebounds that went uh, far, far higher and wider than normal because of the missed threes. So, I, I mean, again, from the way I'm looking at this, I thought they were comfortable, Dallas, that is. I thought Dallas was comfortable all night. And right now, even with the game in a circle, just to make sure that we, we clear of any injuries here, Allie, uh, I've got Dallas as a two-point favorite in Utah Thursday night. And uh, I, I really don't think that there's going to be much of a difference in the, the change of locale. I think Dallas definitely has their number now. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that, again, this is a Utah team that just can't get it done in the postseason. We've seen the Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert tandem fall apart for what, how many years? Two, three, four years now. So I think you're going to see a team that's going to get totally blown up in the offseason big roster moves. I don't think Donovan Mitchell's the, the guy many of us thought he was that could potentially lead the team to the finals. And it's disappointing because I really like Donovan Mitchell. I really like Rudy Gobert. I like the jazz team as a whole. It's just, there's some kind of roadblock that they just can't get over. And before the series started, I liked the Mavericks with a healthy Luca. We didn't know if Luca was coming back. I didn't want to take the risk. So in our, our office pool, I did pick the jazz, but I'm with you right now. I think this is the Maverick series and it's going to be an interesting second round with Luca. I think he can just be a guy like Giannis that just goes on a tear and take over the game and really win a series. I know we saw them collapse last year, but that's another year of experience under his belt. And I think this is a dangerous Mavericks team going forward. What do you think? Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's a great point. Uh, Doncic is really, really, he's, he's just one of those players that can absolutely take over a game. And uh, if you told me today with all the injuries that are all around between, you know, what's happening, obviously the Jazz are, you know, already, you know, on the ropes. The Phoenix Suns aren't anywhere near their perfect health mm -hmm. uh, without Devin Booker. I don't know if, if uh, Chris Paul scoring is, is, is going to be able to, make up the difference. Heck, uh, we, we didn't even know if they're going to be able to make up the difference to beat New Orleans. We'll get to that in a moment. Yep. But uh, I think, I think Dallas is very, very primed right now after, especially after watching game five to watch them make a run all the way into the Western conference finals. Yeah. And I'll even go so far to say is after golden state, who's still my pick to win the Western conference finals. I think Dallas is the best team after them in this postseason so far. The Suns without Devin Booker, you just can't trust. And we've seen that in the Pelican series, which we'll get to in a minute. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that the Mavericks are just a team you really got to watch. And you know what? They're peaking at the right time. And Luka did get some rest, you know, missing the first few games of the series, even though he did have injuries. But he did get rest and you can't, you can't just overlook that. 
So this is going to be a lot of fun coming up, but we will get to right now the Suns and the Pelicans series. I watched some of the game last night. I mean, it was kind of, it was kind of over before halftime. I hate to say it. The Pelicans did make a run late in the four to come within a few points, but Brandon Ingram kind of got hurt a little bit. It looked like he jammed his thumb and then the Suns ended up pulling away whatsoever, but this series isn't done, Robert. I I'm a firm believer that the Pelicans are going to win the next series. And I, this is going to go seven games. What do you think? So in, in really the first game of the series without Devin Booker, they simply, they didn't drive. They didn't drive with any kind of efficiency. I don't, again, we, I just mentioned Chris Paul, and I don't think that he's, he's able to do what he can with Booker's presence. So, I mean, they got to the line 15 times compared to uh, the Pelicans who got to the line 42 times. It was 32 out of 42 against 10 of 15, 15, 15 free throws. So you could see the score, you know, obviously with the score now being uh, 118 to 103, if you're not going to get to the line, you're getting out-rebounded. You're turning the ball over far more. You're not going to end up, you're not going to end up victorious. The, The pace was slow even with all of the New Orleans free throw attempts. So now we've got a, you know, a, a little bit of an adjustment. Ultimately, look, the Suns, they're now like minus 1,000, I think, is the, is the best price that I could find to win one of the next two games to win the series. Mm-hmm. So that's betting 1,000 to win 100, get paid 1,100. Huge prohibitive favorite. Can they pull off the upset? Yeah, I, I think that they still can. And I think ultimately it's going to come down to seeing how they come out in the first quarter. If I think that, and again, so this line here for Thursday, Suns are one and a half point better uh, with a total of 214 points. That's already, of course, been adjusted with Devin Booker's absence. I just think that ultimately when we see a line like that, it makes me wonder if if the Pelicans can come out at the end of the first up and, and in a pace that they would want to be at getting to the line, there's still a very good chance that they take this to seven games. But I want to take a look and see a little bit more about how Chris Paul is going to be able to take over and start scoring more and shoot, just shoot. I mean, you know, through three and a half quarters, he simply doesn't get any buckets. So if he ends up coming up big, it obviously it's going to be over by halftime. Yeah, and I think it was game three. We saw him just like totally take over the fourth quarter at the end right. of the game and just put the Pelicans away. And I've been a Chris Paul fan since his Wake Forest days. So obviously I always root for him. I really like that he got to the finals last year. I was rooting for him to hopefully get his first ring, but the Bucks had other plans. But you know, he's not the same Chris Paul he was 10 years ago. So I don't know. I just he's I don't think he's a guy that from game to game can constantly step up. And we saw that in the finals last year. He had some good games, he had some bad games, but it was hard for him to say consistently dominant, not like a Devin Booker who can just come out and every game in the series just totally be unstoppable. So I, I'm, I'm torn. I do think the Pelicans win tomorrow's game. I think they do force a game seven, but in Phoenix, now we just talked about home court advantage. I think Phoenix is one of the few teams in this league that you got to give home court advantage to. What about you? Yeah, no doubt. I completely agree. And especially in this very specific matchup, I do think Phoenix does carry 
um, a little bit more in that factor over New Orleans than in probably some other matchups. So yeah, so where I figured one point about the, the median, I, I'd give this one probably closer to two, two and a half uh, in, in terms of Phoenix winning this last one here. Yeah, so I'm taking the dog with the Pelicans tomorrow. <laughs> but, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just gloss over real quick Warriors and Nuggets. I think this game's over tonight. What about you? Not as yet. It, it, it's already, it opened eight, went to eight and a half. Now in some places, the, the Warriors are already a nine-point favorite. It would take, it would take the, the game of Jokic's life uh, to, to keep this one close and, and have any chance of an upset. Uh, I, I think by the end of the half, We'll, we'll probably see the Warriors up close to double digits, and it should be elementary after that, Ali. Yeah, and I hate, real quick, I hate laying a lot of points. When I look at a nine-point spread in basketball, I'm always usually on the underdog side, but this is a side that I'm just, I think the Warriors win by double digits. I think, like you said, it, where you see a double-digit lead by halftime, and then at this point, I just don't see the Nuggets coming back. And the Warriors are another team where the home court advantage really goes into their favor too. I think Curry, Thompson, Green, they're just taking over the game again tonight. And I believe the total is really high. I forget what the exact number is. Do you have it out in the top of your head? Yeah, it's uh, 225 and a half. Uh, down just a tick from 226 and a half, but still uh, the, yeah. highest, the highest of any. Yeah, so I see a spread like that. And that just, to me, spells we're going to see a lot of threes from Curry and Thompson. And this is just going to be not a high scoring game in the sense that both teams just put up baskets, but the Warriors win way too comfortably in this game. So that's, you know, it's, it's sad to see the Nuggets lose because I just love watching the Joker play, but I think they need another year to get hurry. They need, you know, Murray to get healthy. So we'll just move on quickly to the last series. Cause I know I really want to talk about the NFL draft. But did you watch that game last night between the Grizzlies and the T-Wolves? Man, what an exciting final six, seven minutes of the game. It was incredible, actually. It was. I, that I didn't expect to have that much drama and that much excitement. And, and I'm not even talking about uh, the, the protesters charging onto the court and trying to <laughs> glue themselves or chain themselves or I don't know what, dress up as a referee and and, and, and just get their messages out. I mean, the, the games have just been fantastic. And I, I got to tell you, if, if you're telling me that I get a chance to see a great play out of such young talent, uh, the league's in really, really great shape. Yeah, totally. And John Moran, I mean, we saw what he could do back in the NCAA tournament a few I, years ago with Murray State. And he just was, he's just electrifying I mean, the guy sprints down the court like no other I've seen in years. And he's just not scared, Robert. Like, for him to take some of those shots at the end of the game and for him just to drive to the basket and what he does to his body just pretty much, like, go up without any fear whatsoever of whatever defenders are around him. Like, oh, man, like, this guy's probably, in my opinion, the most exciting guy to watch in the game right now. And no doubt. I, I, I mean, I'm tuning in. That's for sure. He's fearless. He's fearless. He, he does. It doesn't matter who's in front of him. Uh, you know, the, the dunk, the dunk to end all dunks. Yeah. As yeah. we can, as we could call it, that was, you know, simply him just taking the ball. I think he took maybe two steps then took off and, and it, it was, it was time to get the cameras out because we got ourselves a pretty legendary poster for the kids on that one. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely be rooting for the Grizzlies. You know, we don't know what their matchup's going to be. I do think they end up beating the T-Wolves. I don't think it goes seven games. I think that they do wrap it up in the next game because the T-Wolves are just so inconsistent. And I really think the T-Wolves, if they had any shot of upsetting the Grizzlies, they had to win that game yesterday. And that's just a heartbreaking loss to have because you're up in your opponent's home court. You could take a 3-2 series lead. And you literally blow it in the last five minutes. I mean, the Grizzlies went on what, like a 10-0 run. And it, that just, it just demoralized the T-Wolves from my perspective. So. Yeah, it did. I, did yeah. No doubt. Yeah. And, and that's just something that's hard to come back from. So, well, that's our NBA playoffs recap. I know we could talk about it all day, <laughs> but we still have two months of the NBA playoffs. So we have plenty to talk about in our upcoming podcast. But we do have the NFL draft tomorrow, and I am a big fan of the NFL draft. I'm not crazy that I do mock drafts. I really don't do mock drafts, but I do like reading about the drafts and, of course, betting on them. I love making prop bets. What else can you do with a sporting event besides betting that's more fun? (laughs) But um, so let me get your opinion, Robert. We'll start with the first overall pick. Let's start with what the odds are and then who you like. Now, we're taking a look at the first overall pick, and uh, this one obviously has been it, – it's been played around for, for a while that Jacksonville was going to take Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. Yes. And, I mean, it'd be no surprise, uh, you know, if they pounce on a different defensive end, uh, you know, or, or one of the top offensive tackles instead of, you know, going with a so-called safe pick. Uh, but, boy, oh, boy, did um, – that change uh, right now, I'm definitely seeing everywhere that I look that actually uh, defensive end from Georgia Trayvon Walker is going mm-hmm. to be the number one overall pick. Uh, and and I, I seriously can't see any fault in that. You know, when, when you have someone that's an edge rusher, that's that good at six, five two seventy five, he's probably the highest rated player, uh, you know, on any position. So right now uh, I have him as easily as the favorite to go number one overall, followed by uh, Hutchinson, um, then uh, Iguanu, Evan Neal's probably, nah, I mean, look, if Evan Neal goes number one overall, something very bad happened. I'll just go ahead and start with that because I actually don't think he's the best offensive lineman right now. So it's, uh, it's you know, everything, all the indications right now are Trayvon Walker. Uh, and if you're looking at it, you know, and saying, hey, if this thing's locked in, well, you're, you're going to pay the price. Uh, but, you know, right now we're looking at 190, some places already as high as 225 to 100 on Trayvon Walker being the number one overall pick. Yeah. And now Evan Neal is definitely not the best offensive lineman in the draft, which means that my Giants are probably going to draft him. At number five. <laughs> That's just what we do. No, but hey, don't. <laughs> oh, I hope not. I hope not. I'm looking at Charles Cross if we're going to get an offensive tackle. He's been really jumping up, but I'll save my Giants talk for another day. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Walker does go number one. You know, you don't, there's not a ton of value you're getting at the minus 190. But if you think it's your money, you know, lay down, just go ahead and get it. Jacksonville definitely needs defensive help. I mean, they were one of the worst defensive units in the country last season. I mean, they're just not a great team as it is, but yeah, they need to start somewhere. They need to get an edge rusher. They need to get some pass rush going on. So I'm with you. I like Walker to go number one, but actually I'm going to like move up a little bit on our agenda. Number three is interesting. Cause when I was looking at prop bets, 
I kind of like Derek Stingley to go in the top three. Am I crazy, Robert? No, no, not at all. Stingley's to me, uh, I, I kind of hinted at it last week. Yeah. Uh, the guy is, um, he's spectacular to me. He's definitely the top cornerback without a doubt, you know, and, and there's, there's so many that are fantastic, uh, you know, but you know, this, this, this corner, you know, he's just, he's just a different kind of a player. And I think that honestly, if you're looking for a shutdown right now, right. Everything is the quarterback, the wide receiver. Well, what's the counter to that? If you're already set there, or even if you're not, you got to think Houston at three takes mm-hmm. Derek Stingley. Um, you know, and I've seen some early numbers where they had Stingley, you know, going, you know, 11 and a half was the total. So that's, easily and under I, I mean heck right. if he doesn't go to Houston at three which by the way I think there's there's a small chance uh you know if if Davis Mills is going to have any kind of success they probably would want to take an offensive tackle so Ikem can uh, probably the pick there for Houston but I don't think he's going to be skipped by the Jets no. uh, at, at four so Stingley top five uh, very easy uh, for me to see that happening yeah, and a lot of mock drafts I've read about, you know, like you said, they have Stingley. Some have him going in like the 11, 12 range, others more close to the t- top 10. But do you think he gets, do you really think the Jets would draft like a sauce gar- gardener over Stingley? I do. Yeah, I, 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 I do, right? I, and honestly, I don't think that there's going to be, uh, I don't know if there's much of a difference. To me, I just think that Stingley's the one that, showed me more just because of his resume and where he played, but Holy smokes did Garner just, I mean, he, he could be there next Daryl Rivas. Yeah. Yeah. He, right? it, yep. I, I totally agree. And he's, you know, he has, he has the ego too. He declared himself the best player in the draft. <laughs> I'm always against people doing that. It's like, just don't set yourself up for that, but Hey, you know what? If I think to be, at that level, you do have to have some of that confidence in you or cockiness, if you want to say. Uh, you know what's interesting before I, I say any more about that? What do you think about a team trading up to get Stingley at number three or number four? Yes, yeah, so I, I thought about like how, I mean, look, anything could happen. And right now, this is the vaguest of drafts that I've seen in such a long time, Ali. I mean, there, there's still discussions of, whether or not San Francisco trades away Samuel, mm-hmm. maybe Seattle trades away Metcalf, you know, again, a wide receiver league right now. So those are the most, uh, you know, prized possessions of, of any NFL team to succeed. So, you know, could, could trades happen? Yes. Do I think they will? I honestly, I, I do. I just think that there's way too much of a pressing need in some cases. And with the run that's going to be on wide receivers, uh, I, I could definitely see people trading up to get into a better position. Uh, so that's something definitely to look forward to just because you have a, a, a higher, uh, a higher selection doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to trade down. Stingley obviously would be a, a number one cornerback. I mean, heck sauce Gardner could be a number one cornerback on most of the NFL teams today. They're that good. They're fast, that agile. I just think that there will probably be far more, desire for those two cornerbacks than uh, others are actually thinking about right now. I think honestly, the, the way I've got the top five, and I, I think I'm pretty much locked in right now, I'm going to go with Walker, Hutchinson, 
Mm-hmm. I think it's Stingley three, then Thibodeau, then Cross. Yeah, that's, I'm about right with that, you. Yeah, uh, that, that's it. And that's as far as I'm going. I'm not going any more than that. I, I have a general idea of how many wide receivers are going to be taken. We could t- touch on that. But I, I think it's going to go Walker, Hutchinson, Stingley, Thibodeau, and then Cross. I hope so, because that's my Giants pick. I <laughs> Cross yes. at number five. You know, I, I'm one, too. Like, I would love to have Stingley on my team, too. And when you think about this offseason, we've seen Devontae Adams switch teams going to the Raiders. We've seen Tyreek Hill going to the Dolphins. There's going to be a lot of teams in those divisions that are looking at now having two of the best receivers in the league in their division now. And you're going to see a team that's going to want a top cornerback to guard them. So I definitely think on a in a draft like this where after Stingley and after Gardner, the quarterback position is a bit scarce. Yeah, I think I've always been one which, unlike our former GM, David Gettleman, is draft the best talent that there is. And if they're available, go get them. Not every team seems to do that. But I think in this case with Stingley and Gardner, you got to trade up for them. Like there's no let's wait to day two or let's see if they fall to us. You need to be aggressive and you need to go up for them. This is a draft where wide receiver is definitely, there's a lot of depth at that position. So you're going to get value, you know, whether you pick 15th or 20th, I think, in my opinion, for that. But with these two guys, man, you got to trade up for them. Speaking of trades, what's the current uh, over under number for trades in the first draft that you have? Well, so (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and just put it my own personal number. I think we're going to see a total, let's go three and a half. Okay. Three and a half for the first round. It's a, a, a little soft, uh, as I think that I probably get uh, some play on uh, less than that. Uh, but I think three and a half is probably sitting well, only because of how much of a desire there is. Again, if it's not Stingley or Gardner, then forget about it. Those two cornerbacks really are the ones that you want to get. Uh, and the rest could you know, be more of like, depth at the position if you really want game changers those two will probably do it more than than anyone else and then with again with the wide receivers i definitely can see uh moves being made there and then of course you know you're going to have some teams that are so desperate at quarterback that they're going to go ahead and make a reach there as well so actually maybe three and a half is a good number yeah i think it's a really good number and i'd probably go with the under because i think there'll be about three trades and, you know, we've seen in, in recent years, when there's a quarterback heavy draft, you tend to see the most number of trades. Obviously, quarterback is always the most pressing position that people are going to want to trade up for. So I think three is like a solid number to go with. But while we are talking about quarterbacks, how many quarterbacks are you thinking go in the first round? Okay, so I'm, I'm looking right now and, and I'm just playing it in my head. I, I honestly think that we're going to see three quarterbacks drafted. Uh, the earliest will either be the late teens, early twenties, you know, Pittsburgh is taking a quarterback. Yeah. Okay. They're taking a quarterback Titans. They're taking a quarterback mm-hmm. first round. And then I guess New Orleans, uh, or, or maybe someone else, maybe Seattle reaches Carolina. So yeah. some Carolina, right? So some combination of Willis Pickett or Ritter is going to definitely be in that first round. So, um, you know, could there be a reach at the very end? with uh, Matt Corral, maybe, uh, but I'm, I'm looking for sure at three um, with, with an outside outside shot at maybe four. 
See, I'm I'm taking the under in this one. I saw it was like about two and a half. I definitely think Pickett and Willis uh, they're gonna go they're gonna go in uh, the first round. But I don't know. I just I feel like, and you're probably a better insight than I do. But I feel like after those two guys, and they're not high on my list of quarterbacks anyway. That's why a lot of like Giants fans, fellow Giants fans, I was talking about this year that were like, should we draft a quarterback? I'm like, to who? No one's even better than Jones right now in the draft. So I don't think it's a necessarily a good quarterback draft. And I think teams will wait to the second round. I mean, I could be wrong, obviously. But if you give me a two and a half, I'm going with the under for the quarterbacks on this one. I think it's Willis. I think it's Pickett. They go in, like you said, the teens, the 20s. But speaking of quarterbacks, do we see Jimmy G get dealt? No, I, I don't. I, I don't think he gets yeah, treated. I, 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 I think I, I think that that's that's a lot of uh, you know hope and hype <laughs> yeah. to see him get moved. I don't I don't think he gets moved despite their you know them having depth. They don't need to trade him. Uh, you know despite you know all all the posts on social media, and and actually, Ali, I think you're right with with the quarterbacks. I just don't think that they're. I just don't think that these quarterbacks are going to be in the league, even in like three years. I, I mean, again, it, they had incredibly successful collegiate careers. I just don't think they've got the, the right makeup to see them stick around and, and make a really, really huge impact on an NFL team. So I, I don't think that reaching for a quarterback should be done at least in this, in this year's draft. Totally, totally agree. And I think that, you know, it's tough. It's tough when you're a when you need a te- when you need a quarterback like you're New Orleans. So you do have a good bridge with James Winston. Same thing if you're Atlanta. You know you have Mariota for a year. Maybe he he has a second blooming like Tannehill did. But yeah, I just don't see either of these guys really being your long term solution. And the Panthers are they just gonna like keep failing at quarterback? I mean, you go from Cam Newton to Sam Darnold, that experience didn't work. They even had PJ Walker going. We've seen the years before where Kyle Allen just didn't do anything for them. Are they just like wasting McCaffrey being on that team or what? Yeah, no, no, that's absolutely true. Uh, in, in this, if they trot out the same lineup that they did with a couple of new pieces from the draft, there, there's no way I would set their win total anything higher than seven. Uh, they just, they just, just not playoff caliber. They're not. Yeah, totally agree. And then one more really good uh, prop bet, which I took the under on, <laughs> and it was only 0.5, but running back selected in the first round. I don't think we see any running backs going in the first round. What about you? No, 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 not, not there's no need. Uh, not, nope. not in this game anymore. So, I mean, if you take a look at really who's, who's, who's any good, I guess Brees Hall might be worth taking or, or Kenneth Walker, the third, but they're not, they're not anything at all to just say, Hey, you're going to go ahead and make a really huge difference in your offense by drafting them. So I don't think that we even see one running back drafting. Yeah, and unfortunately runners. being a giants fan, we saw that when we drafted Saquon number two and he had one good solid year for us his rookie year. And then he's played all of like six or seven games since. So definitely don't waste your picks on running backs in the first round. They're just so delicate nowadays. 
And we've seen even the Steelers have perfected it better than anything. You know, you run your, your court, you're running back for the first three, four years of the career, and then you move on. But that's just how the game is. You know, you, it's a pass heavy game nowadays. And yeah, you have your Derrick Henry's of the world that are going to make a difference. But in the end, Derrick Henry's not getting you to the Super Bowl. No, no, he's not. He's, he's just, he's one component. You can't go ahead and just rely on a running back to take you to the Super Bowl. That's not going to happen ever. No, and even you look at Jonathan Taylor with the Colts, no matter how MVP caliber his season was, they didn't make the playoffs. And I think if you have a quarterback that's even just a nudge better than Carson Wentz, they do make the playoffs. And it's not like they had like these eye-popping receivers too. We've seen Tom Brady make, you know, a goat of his career throwing to subpar receivers. So I think quarterbacks, you know, obviously your number one option on offense. There's no question about that. There's nothing to debate about that. So I think you just need to, you know, get your running back second, third, fourth round. We've seen from time to time these mid picks that are running backs come through and be stellar guys in the league. So before uh, we move on to more things, what are some other prop bets you like, Robert? So if you're looking again at, at we've been talking about the wide receivers and it's without a doubt, you could just see with uh, teams and, and how much they're valuing. You could see in the off season, key, key wide receivers being traded for an awful lot, um, whether it's Tyreek Hill or, uh, you know, otherwise we're, we're looking at wide receivers being moved and, and prized far, far more than almost any position. So if you're looking at the number of wide receivers drafted in round one, uh, I would look at going over five and a half. I, heck, I'd even look to go over six. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and if you're looking specifically, I think Garrett Wilson's looking more and more like the first wide receiver selected. Uh, definitely likely now in the top 10 to either Atlanta. Um, I, I don't think the Jets are going to be able to get him. I think Williams goes to the Jets. So there's two wide receivers already in the top 10 alone. We know the Cowboys are definitely going to draft the wide receiver. A very good chance Green Bay does as well. Kansas City is going to be looking for one. I, we, I just mentioned Atlanta, the Jets. I think the Eagles draft a wide receiver. Heck, I even think that the Chargers draft a wide receiver. So that's seven. Uh, so if you're finding a five and a half, I would definitely look to go over that number, Ali. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. That's one of my top plays for the NFL draft is, is taking the over wide receivers. There's, it's such a deep position in this draft that, you know, you're not going to go wrong with any of the ones I think that you take or at least try to take a chance on. And there is such a big wide receiver need, like you mentioned, you know, Amari Cooper going to the Browns, Devontae Adams going to the Raiders and Tyreek Hill going to the Dolphins. Like you said, that's just three openings right there. And I think, you know, you do, you might see other trades too involving wide receivers. Do you think that we see uh, a DK Metcalf from Seattle or even Samuel from uh, the, the Niners getting traded? Not Samuel, but I think Metcalf definitely has legs. Haha. <laughs> Again, imaging. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I just think that Seattle's really has to consider, uh, you know, hitting the reset button and then just starting over because there's nothing that they really have there that could bring them into the playoffs this year. So uh, you build around Metcalf. I don't know, you know, build around Lockett. I don't know. 
I actually don't think you're going to get much value in Lockett at all. Yeah. Metcalf, if you trade him, you're probably going to get best value that you ever will after last season. So he's he's a guy that I think could possibly get traded on uh, on Thursday night. So if anyone, it would be Metcalf over Samuel. Yeah, and if you ask any fantasy football owners who owned DK Metcalf last season, was like a total bust for them. But I, I think I think you will get some value with Metcalf if you're Seattle. You know, not he's not at his highest like he was at this rookie season. But yeah, Seattle's just a team. You know, they're like how Houston's becoming. You just need to scrap the, that entire team and just rebuild from the bottom up. And they started that by trading Russell Wilson, but. Tyler Lockett, you know, he's toward the back end of his career. Metcalf, you're going to get real value for. So I, I do think that he's going to get traded. I don't think he's going to get traded to like a Kansas City or a Green Bay. I think he just has a little too much personality. So I can see it like a Jets trading for him or some other team like that. Even the Cowboys. Cowboys love personalities. So they might take him. But I'm excited. I'm really excited about this draft. You know, it's always a lot of people get more excited when the draft is quarterback heavy because obviously that's the number one position. But I think we are going to see a good amount of movement, not just about draft, you know, draft apex, but like we said, a DK Metcalf, some other established guys are going to get traded. So we'll see how it goes. But before we wrap up, uh, any last words, Robert, about the draft or NBA playoffs or anything else? You know, again, if if you're looking at this draft as uh, something that you want to bet into before the weekend even hits, um, look look at getting any kind of value that you can on on Derek Stingley. Again, we saw Stingley available under 11 and a half, his draft position. So uh, if that's still out there, you could definitely consider that as a play. And again, now looking more and more that Wilson's going to be the first wide receiver taking. You could probably find him at close to 190 or $2. Look, I never, ever go ahead and, and recommend laying a big number, but in the NFL draft, some things, once they get locked in, it really doesn't matter what the price goes to. I mean, everyone's got their own uh, level of, of risk that you want to take on. But those are the two that I keep hearing the most, along with, of course, Gardner being the number one overall pick now. So, if, if you're looking at, uh, you know, going in and, and making some selections, definitely consider that. Consider going over that five and a half wide receivers drafted in the first round. Ultimately, between that and between the rest of the NBA, heck, next weekend's the Kentucky Derby. There's <laughs> just still so much more to come. Uh, but this NFL draft, without a doubt, uh, has it went from awfully vague to, you know, we're, we're pretty much seeing some really good locked in selections, no matter how you play it out. Yeah. And I remember just a quick flashback to 2020 when it was the NFL draft. And that was like the first thing I could actually bet on in COVID in yes, like two yes. months. And I just went a little too crazy on my betting because I was so excited. <laughs> but I'm right with you. I'm taking the over with the ride receivers, under with the quarterbacks. Uh, I do like, Walker to go number one, Hutchinson to go number two. Sadly, I think Stingley does go number three, though. If he does happen to fall to number five, I think my Giants could wait till our number seven pick to get an offensive lineman and draft Stingley. But uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm excited. Uh, I know a bunch of people are excited to get some upgrades on their teams. So we thank you all again for joining. Uh, We'll be back next week. 
We'll be talking more NBA playoffs. We'll do another recap of the draft, see where we were right, where we were wrong. But I'm sure next week we'll just want to be talking derby and playoffs. Thank you again, everyone. And we will talk next week. Thanks. Bye-bye.